Alright everyone, hello and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your mostly weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I am broadcasting from an underground bunker in a secure location with proper ventilation systems and uh, an array of machine guns pointed at my the driveway up until my <laughs> up to my door. I, I'm kidding, but it does kind of feel like that, doesn't it? Boy, what a difference a week makes. Remember last week, before you know people went crazy. Yeah, they were always crazy. They just you know weren't manifesting it necessarily. Huh. Um, all right, jokes aside, I do have to actually. Regarding last week's show, I do want to apologize just a little bit here. Uh, last week's show was uh, not up to my personal standards in a lot of ways. Uh, the discussion got very circular at times. Uh, I probably leaned a little bit too hard into my sense of humor, which is very odd, and... Yeah, just I'm not. I wasn't really happy with it. It's out there. You can all. I assume you listen to it at this point. So just wanted to throw it out there. I apologize a little bit. Wasn't very proud of it. Wasn't very happy with it. But best I can do is learn from it and move on. So, my bad. Hopefully this one's better, and hopefully the next one is better still. That's look forward, not backward. Well, not too much backward. Alright, uh, for the record, I am also flying solo this particular edition. Uh, life kind of interfered in Jeff's ability to be here, which we all understand it happens. Uh, nothing major that I'm aware of, just, you know, scheduling. It's a thing. And, yeah, so we're going to go over the event that took place yesterday, UFC and ESPN Plus 28. And then I think a giant chunk of this show is going to be talking about, well, the elephant in the room. The uh, global pandemic that we're now dealing with. And I don't... I'm trying, I try very hard not to contribute to some of the hysteria that's kind of living under the surface of the fact that, oh, hey, a serious illness is being spread rapidly around the world. Yay, um... Because I think there's a lot of people that are overreacting, which leads to its own set of problems that exacerbate the situation rather than helping with it. I don't want, I'm not going to get too deep into that, I promise. I'm not going to get too deep into politics or anything like that, but this is an unavoidable reality, and it does warrant a fair amount of discussion on this particular episode. So, uh, all the other news seems to stem from a ra- stuff around that. I know a few fighters fell out of fights over the last week, but given the timing of some of that, it might be entirely irrelevant by the time we get there. So there's going to be, yeah, a lot of that. So let's uh, let's start on the fights that did happen uh, this last Saturday in Brasilia, Brazil. All right, before we get into the specific results, a few bookkeeping notes on this. Uh, first of all, in the main event, Kevin Lee missed weight again. This is his second time missing weight in the UFC, both of which have taken place at uh, lightweight. Um, 155 has always been a very hard cut for Lee. And normally, again, this is his second time doing it. That's kind of when I throw the book at you in some respects. 
the fact that this took place uh, amidst, you know, the growing regulatory issues and all the stuff pertaining to the COVID virus, I might be prepared to give him a little bit of a pass on that, you know, if there's enough mitigating circumstances and how they played into his weight cut. But he missed weight, and there were no fans in attendance. Now, that's not because the UFC can't sell, t- uh, you know, is a dying property. Uh, the governor of the city of Brasilia, I think, I think it was the governor. I think they have a city governor, because Brasilia is kind of like Washington, D.C. It's the capital and it do- of Brazil, and it doesn't really, I don't think it has its own, um, you know, sub-state that it's attached to. So it's... So the, the governing official banned gatherings of more than, I think it was 500 people. And for the UFC, that now obviously that means no tickets, no fans. Uh, it also presented a bit of a logistical hurdle, and I just mean, and I mean this in the following way. Let's think about this for just a second. What's the bare minimum number of people that you can have to put on a UFC presentation for, you know, television. Because you're going to have all the fighters, and there were... See how many fights there were last night. There were 12 fights. So you have 24 fighters. Then you have... Then each fighter has three to four cornermen, usually. Coach. Now you have a couple of coaches. You have a cut man that... Uh, Kind of uh, the cut man might fall when it comes to MMA. The cut man might fall under the more regulatory side of things than the. Per- I know if you're in boxing, the individual corners, the individual boxer hires the cut man that they use. I don't know that that's the case with MMA. So, well, th- well again, we're recognizing their existence, but you know, each again, each corner, each fighter has four cornermen, give or take. Uh, now, some of t- there's a little bit of overlap there. If you have a bunch of guys from the same gym, you might have, you know, a, at least the head coach that is uh, transferable between fighters. So we're looking at, you know, 24 fighters. As far as the number of coach, as uh, you know, coaches and support staff for the fighter. Let's kind of go with, you know, two each, two to three each, somewhere in that range. So we're Creeping up on 100 already. Uh, then there's the commission officials. So you have the judges, and there's usually, I think, f- six to seven judges. Probably a little bit more, actually, total for the event. Might be ten. Uh, then there's the referees. And I believe there's five referees assigned to the event, give or take. And they kind of rotate through their positions. Sometimes you have the ref in the cage. Sometimes you have the cage side ref. Uh, you have the commission security officials. You have uh, commission representatives who are there, kind of overseeing things. Uh, then you have the production staff. You, you know how many cameramen are there for the average UFC event? I don't know off the. T- I I genuinely don't know, but that's a relevant question. I think you usually have what four, four or five kind of around the cage. I think three to four would be the minimum. And it might be more than that. There might be like one per 
I know they have stands per corner. So you've got, you know, again, you have uh, the cameramen, you have the people running the actual production, the producers, the people in the truck or at the soundboard, and there's usually three of them, at least. You have all the support staff that set up and take down. You have the commentary team. Like, I think if you were to again factor in like the bare minimum number of like essential personnel to put on a UFC show that's designed to be broadcast, you're probably bumping right up against that number. I mean, they didn't have enough. I think they mentioned um, they didn't have enough personnel space in that 500 zone to have all the fighters in the venue at the same time getting their hands wrapped. A bunch, I know. I think they had to have their hands wrapped uh, off-site, and then they just had those on when they came for their when they came to the facility for their fight. Uh, it's you know, 500 people is a lot in many many contexts, but to put on a major broadcast of a UFC fight night, it's really not. Uh, almost at all. So, that put a damper on things. Uh, and again, no fans at all. Which, you know, I kind of liked. Not gonna lie. Um, at, at, there's only a couple of times when I thought, man, the fans really would add to this. But I've spent so many fights over the last, you know, two years. And I say that just because this phenomenon is somewhat recent. And I know they were in Brazil, so it would have been a little bit different, but dealing with the wooing. Ugh, I hate the wooing. I can deal with it in professional wrestling. Someone does a Ric Flair spot, the entire crowd in unison does the woo, and we all move on. Uh, That's not how it works in MMA. It's some drunken jackass sitting, you know, on the, the second tier up who just decides that I'm going to yell out woo. And then about the time he's three-fourths of the way done with the sound, there's two more at disparate points around the arena who decide to join in. And then it just kind of spreads like this really obnoxious-sounding, this obnoxious wave of noise around the arena. If I wanted to hear something uh, analogous to that, I could go to the zoo and watch the primate house. I don't need it when I'm watching a fight. I didn't have to deal with the, uh, you know, the Brazilian death chants or any of that. I, I kind of dug it. I'm not going to lie. So, I don't know. Uh, it's worth noting. The uh, fanless arena experience for me as a viewer on television, not a bad thing. A little bit odd only in a couple of places, but not bad. Uh, all right, so there was that. Then the main event, Kevin Lee misses weight for his fight with Charles Oliveira. Oliveira submits Kevin Lee with a guillotine choke 28 seconds into the third round. Good little fight here. Um, Oliveira came out and immediately got in Kevin Lee's face, which is a little bit odd for Oliveira. He's not usually that guy. Uh, he came out, started throwing some jumping front kicks, landed a really good left hook. He was finding his right uh, things got tricky when they hit the mat because if Oliveira can't get a dominant position quickly, uh, it's not that it, I hate to say this because it sounds, I mean, the man's obviously a submission wizard. But if you're going to combat him on the mat, 
The big thing is don't let him achieve a, a severe position on you. And let him work because most of the time when he's trying stuff, he's going to be available to be hit in the head. This is kind of how Paul Felder undid him. And Lee found some success with that model. He was able to get takedowns into relatively secure positions. And then anytime Oliveira would f- try to invert for a leg lock, throw up a triangle, throw up an arm bar, anytime he would try something, Lee would defend and then attack. And that seemed to be a winning strategy for him. Uh, second round, Oliveira's right started really finding the target. Lee was very out of sorts anytime he was getting hit. Uh, Oliveira, you know, hit him a fair bit before Lee got him down and then just kind of a rinse and repeat of the second. In the third, now both those, I thought the second round was close. Uh, I thought the first round Lee took, because he was the one who actually did the most damage. Second round much closer because the first half of it is a lot of really solid stuff from Oliveira in terms of his you know, stand-up offense. And then even on the ground, it's not like he was getting smashed. Uh, I think I had Lee up both the first two rounds, but the second very the second one could have gone either way. The third, um, Oliveira hits a really nice front kick to the body. Lee kind of catches it and then comes in for a takedown. As he's coming in, Oliveira with a really, uh, really nice catch of the neck gets his arm deep under there, all the way around the neck. As they go down... Uh, Lee lands in half guard. Unfortunately, it's half guard on the dangerous side, so uh, you usually want half guard if, you know, if your head is being choked by your opponent's right arm. You want to get your body on the other side from your head. It helps release the pressure. If you're going to the same side as the choke, you can actually just wind up making it tighter. You can get into full-on side control on the other side, and you're actually just giving them more like a, a rear naked choke grip with their arms. Um, you may remember uh, Frank Mir and Chuck Congo. Um, Mir, you know, drops Congo with a left, grabs that guillotine, and Congo tries to get around to side control, but he's on the wrong side of the guillotine. Mir puts him completely to sleep. So, on the wrong side, uh, and Oliveira... I mean, the man has the most submissions in UFC history for a reason. He got that locked up. Lee had to tap. Uh, Massive, massive win for Charles Oliveira. It's hard to overstate this. Oliveira's been in the UFC for a long time, and has had a very, very odd career. He debuted. He had a fair bit of hype because of his submission acumen. He showed some stand-up skills. And everyone was, you know, kind of on the bandwagon there. Then he fights Jim Miller, and that fight is very much just, uh, I mean, Miller near the near the apex of his career at that point. I don't think at it, but very close to it. And just, you know, older, veteran, peaking physically against a young, promising fighter. And it went the way it went. It went Miller's way. Followed that up with a no contest against Nick Lenz. He got stopped by Donald Cerrone. Uh, Rebounded with wins over lower levels, competition. Moves down to featherweight. Gets stopped by Swanson. Gets beat up by Frankie Edgar. Goes on a winning streak. Then has that weird fight with Max Holloway where he gets the neck injury after just like a minute and a half. Uh, Rebounds, submits Miles Jury, then loses to 
Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas. Goes back up to lightweight. Uh, stops Will Brooks. A little bit of an upset. Gets finished by Felder and then since then has been on a winning streak. He's on, I think this was eight in a row. Seven. Sorry, this is seven in a row. Which ties him with Chuck Liddell for second most all-time UFC finish streaks. Uh, the only one with a longer one is Anderson Silva, who has eight. He's uh, so he's finished all of those. Now, again, some of those guys near the end of their career or lower-level guys. Uh, Clay Guida, near the end. Christos Yagos, not, ex- not a bad fighter, but not a world-beater. Rematch with Jim Miller, who's now, you know, clearly on the downside of his career. Uh, this was his third fight with Nick Lentz, which he wins. Jared Gordon, and now big step up, and beats Kevin Lee. And even though I had him down two rounds, they were competitive rounds. Doesn't look out of place. Finally seems like he's able to, you know, break through his own self-imposed glass ceiling. Uh, This should probably get him into the top ten. Certainly adjacent. I mean, he was number, I think, 14 coming into this. And Lee was eight, I want to say. So he might wind up, like, at number ten. Uh, huge win for him. Big setback for Lee. Misses weight again. Loses. Uh, Kevin Lee has the vast majority of the tools you want a high-level mixed martial artist to have. He has superb wrestling. He has good back... I mean, he has great back-taking. He has power. He definitely has a mean streak when he, you know, when he needs to tap into it. He's got freakishly long arms. The man has 77 inches of reach. I mean, again, that's nuts. That's like... How tall is Kevin Lee? He's 5'9". So the man's about 3 to 4 inches shorter than I am, and our wingspans are about the same. Because I'm 6'6", six, six, somewhere in that vicinity. And yeah, my reach is... You know, 70... 76 or 77, I forget exactly. Plus, there's some issue of do you measure fingertip to fingertip. Uh, anyway, point being, shorter than me, demonstrably, and has a wingspan identical, if not longer, than mine. But he just... I don't know, man. He can't seem to really kind of get everything connected together. And it's un- it's unfortunate because there is very, very obviously just boatloads of athletic and fight potential within him. But you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to make weight. You've got to put it all together on fight, put it all together on fight night consistently. And he's struggled a little bit with both of those. And uh, again, it's kind of an unfortunate thing if you're someone in his corner or a fan of his. I mean, he is two and four in his last six. Now, you know, credit one of those is to Tony Ferguson. Fair play. And he gave Ferguson hell through the first two rounds. I mean, he put a beating on Tony Ferguson that first round. Man, that was a rough round for Tony. But, you know, Tony persevered and kept working. And Lee couldn't keep working. Then he had the Barboza win... The Iaquinta fight, which is an odd fight. It's a very odd fight. Tries his hand at welterweight and gets submitted by Rafael Dos Anjos. Rebounds, knocks out Gregor Gillespie. Seems like he's 
you know, maybe putting things together again, maybe, you know, working at TriStar now with Faraz Sahabi after his head original head coach and Robert Fallis passed. That, you know, maybe this is going to be a good fit. He's, you know, we can get him back on the right track. And then this fight. Um, odd one for him, man. Yeah, Oliveira should be fighting. He called out... Um, he said he wanted to fight for the belt after this, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, he's too far removed from that discussion. I mean, you've got Tony and Khabib, theoretically. Uh, full disclosure, that fight's not happening in April. I, I don't think it is. It's just, we're, you know, about a month away from when it's scheduled. And look at the state of things. Look at how long everyone's kind of expecting this to go on. Uh, it's it's not happening. It's just, yeah, I don't think it's happening at this point, at that point in time. I still think they'll try to make it happen, and I still think it needs to happen. You know, in all seriousness, if Tony and Khabib never happens during their careers, whatever reason, it will be a crying shame for the fandom. And for both of those guys, I mean, look, if, you know, let's say Khabib. Let's say Khabib... Uh, again, so we're not gonna. So the fight's not gonna happen in April. I'm gonna operate on that assumption because I think it's correct. Fight doesn't happen, and Khabib suffers, you know, a major injury, or has to ret- or decides to retire for whatever reason. Um, and you know, the reverse could be true as well. You know, they've each pulled out of this fight twice. Now there's global pandemic. That fight is just. It's cursed, but we keep beating our heads against the wall because we want to see it so much. But if they never fight for whatever reason, it will be a crying shame. Um, but if we're talking about Oliveira fighting for the belt, um, he's then got he would then be trying to leapfrog Connor, and he has nowhere near the star power to jump over Connor. Be jumping over, and Connor himself is jumping over Justin Gagey. And Oliver is not leapfrogging either of those guys. He's got at least one more fight. On the plus side, it should probably be somebody in the top five. Um, it's out of curiosity. Now, the rankings have not been updated to reflect these most recent results. But he's probably, let me see, Dan Hooker called out... Hooker called out Gagey. Uh, Poirier's sitting at number two. He already lost to Felder. Uh, Oliveira was 13 coming into this. So you could maybe do Oliveira and Poirier. I think oh, I think Poirier and Hooker, sorry. I think it was Poirier, Poirier and Hooker and Hooker and Gagey have both kind of been... That, that group has kind of been, you know, chirping at each other. I think if you do... I think if you do, like, Hooker and Poirier, you could maybe do Gagey and uh, Oliveira. You could do a rematch between Oliveira and Cerrone. Cerrone is currently ranked sixth. Uh, you could do... I mean, you could do a rematch between Felder and Oliveira. I think it's a harder sell because he, you know, caved in. Felder crushed him with elbows. Uh, he, he, he finished him good and proper. But he's going to be fighting somebody in that top space. I mean, that's what should be next for him after this. Uh, yeah, and again, solid enough main event. 
Uh, co-main event, Gilbert Burns defeats Damian Maia via TKO, 234 of the first with punches. Um, Maya just kind of probing with his jab, not bringing it back properly and not moving his head to compensate. Uh, Burns cracks him with a left hook, uh, finishes him on the ground. A big, big win for Gilbert Burns. This is probably the biggest win of his career. Uh, he's now on, you know, another winning streak. I mean, consider this for just a second about Gilbert Burns. He has lost a grand total of three times in his entire career. One of them was to Rashid Magomedov back in 2015. Now, Magomedov hasn't really, has, he didn't really, uh, he left the UFC in 2017. And he's been kind of, you know, uh, hanging around the PFL and whatnot since. And that's gone eh, kind of intermittently well for him. But he was a really tough out at the time they fought. He lost to Michelle Prezerich after Prezerich missed weight badly, and Prezerich is a tank. And then he got knocked out by Dan Hooker, who's a top, you know, very like a top five lightweight in the world. And now he's on a winning streak. And he finished Damian Maya. Now, I looked this up. Because I think it bears noting. This is only the second time in Damian Maya's entire career that he has been finished. Now, Damian Maya started fighting in mixed martial arts in 2001. So in a 19-year career, almost 19 years, he's been finished only twice. The first time he was finished, I remember because I was watching the fight at the time, uh, Nate Marquardt knocked him out of UFC 102 in 2009. So between August of 2009 and March of 2020, he was never finished. Now, he lost during that time period. Lost to Anderson Silva, Mark Munoz, Chris Weidman, Jake Shields, Roy McDonald, Woodley Covington, and Usman. All of those were decisions. I can't even... Uh, this might even... Now, bear in mind, I can't remember every minute of every Damian Maya fight. But I genuinely can't remember any other any time during the rest of that run that he was really even all that close to being finished. I mean, I know there was an argument that Anderson Silva could have finished him if he'd really wanted to and whatnot. I'm not really going to engage with that. He got his face busted up, that's for sure, but, you know, was Anderson ever really, like, on the verge of getting a finish? Like, we all thought, you know, he was maybe four steps away, and he just wouldn't even take the third step. But Munoz was never close, Weidman was never close to finishing him. They, they won those fights cleanly, but you know, was he ever close to being submitted? Was he ever close to getting knocked out? I really don't think he was in any of them. Even when, again, even when he lost decisively, never, fin never, you know, all that close to being finished. Now, yeah, so huge win for Gilbert Burns to be the first guy in, you know, over ten years to stop Damian Maya. That's a big feather in his cap, man. Uh, Post-fight, Burns called out Colby Covington. More on Covington in a minute. Um, you know, it's a sm it's not the worst call out in the world. You know, Colby's a relatively high-profile figure. A lot of people don't like him. And a lot of people think they can beat him. So, you know, 
I mean, take your shot. You just, you know, stop Damian Maya. Uh, Maya has very recently released a post saying he thinks his next UFC fight will be his last and said he would like to fight either Diego Sanchez or Donald Cerrone. Um, you know, I could absolutely do a fight. You could absolutely do a fight night main event between Cowboy and Maya. And, you know, let that be kind of Maya's swan song, win, lose, or draw. Um, you know, it's... Maya's been around forever, man. You know, I... I know he's had some, you know, very dull fights, but... The man's been around for a really long time. And I'll be sad to see him go. Again, are all of his fights barn burners? No, that's not his style. But I am going to miss him when he's gone. Um, at lightweight, Hanato Moicano makes his move up to lightweight after having the back-to-back losses at featherweight. And submits Demir Hadzevich in 44 seconds of the first round. Um, hard to really get a feel on this. You know, it's a 44-second fight. But Moicano, still very good. I mean, was able to get the back rather quickly. A uh, nice little sequence he that he used to get it, and got the choke rather quickly as well. So, I mean, is he is Hadzovich a world beater? No, but he's no one to be trifled with either. So, yeah, good win for Moicano. Gets him uh, on the ground at lightweight. Uh, he said he wants to fight Paul Felder. I mean, I don't think Felder would go for fighting an unranked guy like that, but uh, you know, if he would, you know, good fight. Certainly wouldn't complain about it. I mean, it's lightweight. There's just it's full of great fighters. Uh, okay, those were for the record our only three finishes of the entire event. The last three, we went to a decision. The other nine fights. This event tied the record for most consecutive decisions in a UFC event in the modern era. I believe it tied with um, Shogun versus Smith and uh, Dos Anjos versus uh, Edwards for nine in a row. The record for most decisions on a card total is ten. That's held by... I forget what card. I want to say one of the Henderson... I want to say Dan Henderson was in the main event. I don't know. I'll either look it up or I. Point being, I know ten is the. I know ten is the record. And yeah, we got to nine total decisions, and the record for you know, the second place at ten or at nine at nine total decisions for a card is held by like seven cards. So a lot of that, but yeah, nine in a row. Um, and to be fair to all the fighters involved. Not all of these were bad fights. If you're one of those people who sees decision and thinks boring fight, I can't help you. It's just not true. Um, Nikita, to be fair, if you were going to bet on any of these not going the distance, it would have been this one. Nikita Krylov and Johnny Walker. I don't think either man had ever won a fight by decision prior to this fight. Um, Krylov defeats Walker, unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. Um, Walker really struggles off of his back. Uh, He tries to explode a lot rather than use technique. He was able to land some stuff on the feet, but Krylov 
you know, landed back and then just was able to close distance. Um, you know, Walker's still a very dangerous fighter. Anyone with his kind of, you know, explosive power, there's always going to be a danger. But you know, between this and the Anderson fight, I think we've seen some of the UFC guys, they've gone back through his fight footage and have kind of gone, okay, this is the path. And you were going to see a lot more of that going forward, I think. Um, not a great fight. Uh, Walker just couldn't get up. Krylov was able to get him down, hold him, ride him, land some offense, and nothing special at all. Uh, Francisco Trinaldo defeated John McDessie via unanimous decision. 230-27s went 29-28. Uh, McDessie did a lot of moving. A lot of moving. And I think that kind of wound up hurting him a little bit. Uh, Trinaldo just still the old warhorse, man. Uh, again, not a great fight, but not. A, I, I think if you watch the first round of this fight, you don't need to see the other two. It's not bad, but it is very samey. Uh, Trinaldo just not cutting the cage off as well as you'd like, but landing some good lefts, landing some good body kicks. Um, again, not awful, not great, perfectly acceptable fight. As for our prelims, uh, Brandon Moreno defeated Juicy A. Formiga via unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. Uh, Formiga's back-taking is still absurd. The fact that Moreno was properly prepared for it was a big deal in this fight. Uh, Moreno was able to stop Formiga from ever really securing a dominant position for any length of time, uh, forced the fight to be more on his terms, and, you know, took out the only guy to beat uh, Davison Figueredo. So, the flyweight, you know, landscape is very, very much, you know, shrouded in mystery at the moment going forward, but Moreno positioned himself well within the flyweight ranks if there's a flyweight ranks to be positioned in going forward. Um, Amanda Hibas put a beating on Random Marcos. This was not a competitive fight at all. Official scores of 30-26, 30-25, and 30-25. I was 30-26, but I think 30-25 is very warranted. I don't know... Minor point of bookkeeping here. They never said which version of the rules they were using last night. So, under the newer scoring criteria, absolutely 30-25. Under the old scoring criteria, you can still get to 30-25. It's just, uh, it's a bit more of a margin call. I think if he, again, if you're using the new scoring criteria, pretty clear 30-25. Um, Hebus just beat Random Marcos from pillar to post, on the feet, on the ground, anywhere they went. Uh, this was supposed to be Hebus and Paige Van Zandt. Van Zandt fell out after her broken arm re-aggravated itself, I think. Uh, Hebus still wants that fight. The UFC will never make that fight now. Um, they like Paige Van Zandt too much to put her in there with someone who's going to do that to her. Uh, this was, yeah, that was not a competitive fight. Uh, only decision on the evening that I disagreed with. Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos defeated Alexei Konchenko via unanimous decision. 29-28's across the board. I was 29-28 Konchenko, and I, I have a hard time getting to Dos Santos winning this fight. I think he got the benefit of a I think the stuff on the feet in the third round was somewhat close, but 
in the favor of Konchenko. And then he got a takedown with like 10 seconds left. And I think that kind of is what swayed some of the judges. Uh, again, I disagree with that decision, just flat out. Um, Enrique Barzola and Ronnie Yaya battled to a majority draw. I was technically 29-28 Barzola. I got there 10-9 Yaya in the first, a 10-10 second, and then a 10-8 Barzola in the third. So the score there was 129-28 for Barzola, which I don't know if that was my scorecard or they just went Yaya 1, Barzola 2, and 3, which is more likely. Judges really don't like giving out 10-10s. And then two 28-28s. Um, I have no issue with 28-28. I think Yaya has the first. And if you were going to... Again, I went 10-10 in the second. If you were going to give the second to one of them, it would have been Yaya. And then Barzola had a really, really big third round. So no issues with that scoring. Uh, fun little fight. Marina Moros defeated Maria Buena Silva via unanimous decision. 29-28s across the board. Uh, Moroz, I think, had the first two rounds, and then Silva, the third. F- uh, this was technically your fight of the night, and I can see it. It was a, you know, it was a fun little scrap. Um, David Dvorak defeated Bruno Silva via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, really impressed with Dvorak, actually. He took a tough front kick to the jaw in the first round and recovered. Uh, smart fighter, both men changing stances. Uh, and just finding a lot of opportunities, throwing in volume rather than kind of one-and-done headhunting. Um, yeah, good fight. No complaints. And then kicking everything off, Bea Malecki defeated Veronica Macedo via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, Macedo gassed herself out basically in the first round and then uh, was downhill from there. Not a good fight. Not a good fight. So that was it. That was UFC on ESPN Plus 28 from Brasilia, Brazil. Thank you very much to everyone who read and followed along with my coverage, who read it after the fact. Uh, I deeply appreciate you guys. They bumped the start time on this event because, we'll get more into this in a second, You know, everything else kind of stopped. So this thing was supposed to start at 5 p.m., the prelims which is 3 p.m. my time, which is kind of how I had structured my Saturday, because I had stuff to do. And then late Thursday, early Friday, word comes down, yeah, they're going to start it at um, 3 p.m. Eastern, which is 1 p.m. for me, and it really kind of messed with my day. Uh, So, yeah, that was fun. Um, anyway, that was the event. Thank you all very much. I, you know, I appreciate the heck out of all of you guys. And that might be the last one of those we get to do for a while. So, uh, my thanks to you, doubly so. Because, and again, there's no real way to avoid talking about this. So, let's go ahead and jump into the state of the world, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the COVID-19 global pandemic that we are mid stuff right now. Alright, the situation as it currently stands. Um, I think every major sports organization has suspended activities. Uh, the NBA postponed their entire season after one of the players for the Utah Jazz was found to have the virus and one of his teammates, and he may have potentially spread it to others, and they were 
there was talks about the NBA season going forward, but with you know testing protocols and no fans in attendance, stuff like that. I did know some of the other major sports groups. They were just like, okay, we can have no fans. We'll still do the game. We'll still have the events because we get paid boatloads of money by ESPN and Fox Sports and whatever other you know, enti- whatever other broadcast entities there are. And sure, we won't have fans, but you know, we can still have the games. And that turns out to be not very sustainable. So again, the NBA postponed their entire season. Uh, the NHL postponed their entire season. Major League Baseball has, as of right now, pushed back its uh, opening day by several weeks. Um, I think NASCAR postponed. I might be off the mark on that. I know the NCAA uh, stopped everything. so Because March Madness was about to begin. So that's not happening. Their wrestling tournaments aren't happening. Uh, the XFL, for those following that, postponed the remainder of its current season. Did say they were planning on being back for the, you know, for 2021, though. And, you know, there's probably... They've probably had been successful enough over the duration of their lifetime right now to justify that, I think. And if you put some more effort behind, you know, marketing and team building and whatnot over the ne- during the during the downtime, that might be justified. And I'm not a big fan of the XFL, but if I'm going to talk about whether or not I think they're just blowing hot air about being back next year, I, I don't think they are. I think there's a genuine, there's a pretty good chance, actually, that they will. So all of those organizations have... Stopped, basically. And then there's the UFC. Which, uh... Dana White publicly stated, it will take a government-mandated quarantine for us to stop. Well, buddy, you might be getting your wish. Um... Most athletic commissions have suspended fights or other activities. Um... I know the Nevada State Athletic Commission revoked all licenses between, like, yesterday or the day before and the 25th, I think it was, uh, of the same month. So, you know, 10 days from now, when they will reconvene. I can't imagine anything substantively changing for the better over that limited time period. And that means that, and if that holds... And I have to imagine it will. The UFC's kind of fallback plan for you know, events in Columbus and Portland and London and blah, 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 not being available to them was to host them at their, their Apex Center. This is the site of Dana White's Contender Series. It's just, you know, the UFC's... It's not a big venue if we're talking about, you know, what you're used to seeing. But they have a cage. Uh, they, I think, it's a smaller twenty-five foot cage, and they have you know broadcast facilities and abilities. They are. It's a perfectly valid location from which to run fights. And the thought was, okay, if we can, you know, we'll control so there's no fans. We'll follow the. If if the guideline is okay, you can't have more than five hundred people or even two fifty. They might have been able to make that work. But that's not really the direction things are going. Again, uh, 
all fight licenses are temporarily revoked by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. I imagine that will be upheld when they reconvene. I'd be shocked if it wasn't. Um, you know, before that, uh, Columbus, which was one of the other upcoming events, uh, banned gatherings of more than 500 people. Uh, Portland did something similar, either not long after or not long before. Um, I mean, uh, all last week, Dana, you know, they were saying the UFC, not just Dana, he's the figurehead, but not just him, that you know the UFC London card was still a go. Anyone who bought that line of crap, uh, I have beachfront property in Nebraska. I would love to sell you. Um, I mean, again, they were saying that, and then news came out that uh, London city officials were going to meet to determine what they could do to help stop spread, to help curb the spread of the virus. And as soon as that came, I was like, "Yep, that's not happening." A bunch of fighters uh, flew over. Where I know, like Ashley Evan Smith is already was in the UK, um, and then came down. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, so that fight card, I may as well kind of sneak a little bit of a may as well sneak a little bit of a preview in for uh, the upcoming events. That it's it's not going to happen. Um, it was scheduled for London. It was going to be Tyron Woodley and Leon Edwards in your main event. Um, they reske- So, I don't think Tyron Woodley had left the United States yet. And good for him. Because they canceled the event. Uh, Leon Edwards said he would not be... He, he and his team do not feel that they're in a position to safely make the trip between the UK and the United States right now. They're, most of them are, you know... They have families to consider. There's the travel ban between the UK and the United... Well, it's between Europe and the United States. And it, it didn't seem feasible for them. And I don't blame Leon Edwards or his team one darn bit for that. Not at all. And you know what? Nuts to you if you do. He's not. He signed the fight. He's willing to fight Tyron Woodley. But yeah, this is just... There's so many other calculations that have to go into his thought process right now beyond I'm going to fight Tyron Woodley that I understand him completely and I again, I don't think the event is happening. Um, again, Ashley Evan Smith landed in the UK and like by the time she got there, uh, you know, less than like 24 hours later, probably less than, was like, yeah, you uh, we're not going to be having it there. I think her Instagram thing said, yeah, I've been in country... For less than for you know less than two days, only one day like landed, and apparently I need to have been in California yesterday. Um, there's a because there were a bunch of these fighters that were coming into the UK that might not have the appropriate work visas for the United States right now. Uh, I know that was the case for Shavkat Rachmaninov, who was supposed to fight Bartar Fabinski. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of guys who on this fight, on this you know card, who were coming into the U.S., who coming into the U.K., who might not be able to get into the United States right now. So we lost the main event. The UFC is apparently scrambling to find somebody and a venue 
Um, for whatever it's worth, Gilbert Burns said he'd fight Tyron Woodley on very short notice. Um, Colby Covington's made noise about it. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos has made noise. None of this is happening. There's... I just... I really don't think the UFC is going to find any venue that will license this. That will sanction this kind of event right now. I don't think it's going to happen. Apparently, like, one of the things they're discussing is, you know, finding, uh, like, tribal land. Because that's not necessarily... Because, for those of you who don't know... Tribal land is the sovereign province of the tribe that it's assigned to, not the United States government. So there's some discussion about that. I'm kind of, you know, if there were any possibility, I almost don't want to say it. Because there's some intern right now sweating, going, if I can come up with the idea that can save a few events, I'll get promoted and they'll actually start paying me. And I don't know that I want to give you an idea. Because at this point, I have like serious ethical concerns about the UFC running events right now. You're talking about a bunch of people traveling interstate or internationally, a bunch of fighters compromising their immune systems while they're cutting weight, uh, uh, a sport to the extent that you even want to necessarily acknowledge MMA as a sport and there's a much more high level discussion that can be had around that around that topic and you're in such close proximity with this and you know this virus is it's not how did I kind of see this talked about it's not like truly airborne because it does have to... Like, a truly airborne virus can just live in the air. This one more has to live, like, in the... Uh, like, the fluid for that you breathe. That Because, you know, there's small particles of fluid that, breathe, that are kind of always expelled in and out. When you talk, when you cough, when you sneeze, whatever. And those can have a fairly significant distance. I think, you know, 12 feet-ish. Uh, might be kind of the upper bound limit. Or, well, not the upper bound limit, but it's kind of a good marker for that. So there's all that. And and you still do get it kind of by breathing. You, you breathe it in. But it's not airborne in the, in, like in the truest sense of an airborne illness where, you know, you need a full-on, you know, hazmat respirator. Here, if you're just far enough, literally, if you're, like, far enough away from another human being, even if they're infected, you're, there's a good chance you're okay. At least that's my understanding from kind of what I've looked at. Do not, I am not a medical professional, okay? Do not take my word as gospel, <laughs> please, I beg of you. Uh, and, you know, your best bet is to, you know, kind of isolate your, is to, you know, practice some social isolation anyway. And I've seen a lot of... I've seen a lot of UFC fighters kind of, you know, towing the company line here, and it's just sad. I mean, Bellator 241 got called off, like, the day of the event, the day before the event. Uh, due to these concerns, Bellator just paid everybody and said, you know, go home. <laughs> uh, most fighters want to fight because they're only, I mean, they only get money if they fight. Most of the UFC's payouts will get a fighter 
from one fight to the other, but not really much more than that. And I'm not, I've, you know, I've talked about fighter pay in the past. We beat that drum. I'm not going to do it again here. Part, again, a lot of the reason you're looking at fighters kind of going, yes, I need to fight, it's because they will face financial ruin if they don't fight for six months. Especially if they previously fought, you know, eight months ago, and you have a fight scheduled in the next, you know, three weeks, if suddenly you can't fight for another six months, that can be a big deal for a lot, especially the lower, I'd say lower level, but if you're lower down on the pay structure... It's a huge deal. I mean, there are guys who make, you know, $20,000 gross to fight. Say you you have 20 and 20. So you have 20 to show, 20 to win. Fight and you lose. You get $20,000. Then you have to pay, then your, you know, your agent and your coaches take a percentage off the top usually. Then you have to pay taxes in whatever state you're in. I mean, I think like Nate Quarry mentioned, you know, his title fight against Rich Franklin, he banked after paying, from whatever his paycheck was for that, when it was all said and done, he only made like six grand. I imagine that is not an uncommon scenario. So, there's a lot of fighters that, you know, need to fight financially. And that's where I think you'll see a lot of the support for Let Us Fight comes from is coming from their own financial desperation. Desperation might be a strong word, but you guys know what I mean. And, you know, if you take a shot, because I'm going to bring it up again, if there was some kind of guaranteed pay structure for the fighters, which they should have, given the structure of the UFC, you know, most boxers... Yeah, this is uh, this is a fascinating look at the dichotomy of even just combat sports. I mean, sure, the NBA players, the NFL players, all of those guys, they most of them have guaranteed money, even under these kind of circumstances, that will be paid out. Boxers, most boxers even, are kind of like, yeah, we'd rather, you know, not subject ourselves and our loved ones to some of the dangers associated with this. And look, is a healthy UFC caliber athlete and fighter very likely to succumb to a severe case of COVID, of the coronavirus that's going around? No, in fact, if you look statistically, they're unlikely to require hospitalization. That's not really the danger here from what I understand. The danger that this virus presents, first of all, to the percentage of the people that it is severely dangerous to, it is very dangerous. Second, because of how it's, because of its growth rate, we're dealing with something that I think, I think they said the rate of doubling in terms of its infection was like every four days, you will double the number of infected people. I mean, this time last week when Jeff and I were sitting here talking, this thing had a there were like 500-some-odd confirmed cases in the U.S., I think. Now we're looking at confirmed over 3,000. Right about 3,000. Uh, so, in one week, this is how exponential growth works. The biggest danger is that spike in exponential growth hitting 
all at once, and then the you know medical facilities being logistically unable to cope with it. Uh, I mean, some of this is just numbers. Like, assume you know, there's 300 million people in the United States. I know that's not exact, that exactly accurate, but let's round, say, 300 million. I think I saw that, I think some of the latest numbers were, you know, of all people exposed to it, um, I think it was 60 or 80. Uh, let's say, let's split the difference for the sake of conversation. Let's say 70. Let's say 70% of all people infected with this do not require hospitalization. So that's a giant chunk. But do you know what 30% of 300 million is? It's not that hard to calculate. 10% of 300 million is 30 million. 30, 60, 90. So 90 million people requiring hospitalization. That's just a, so again, that's just assuming that that number is give or take accurate. Do you really think the entire medical infrastructure of the United States right now could handle 90 million people requiring hospitalization, to say nothing of those requiring more, more serious care in something like the intensive care unit? It's just not built for that kind of serious hit. And this is not me crapping on the healthcare industry in the United States. I don't think there's a system in the world I don't think there's an there's a medical infrastructure in the world that could handle over the course of let's say six days, given the rate of doubling. Say in a single six day period, you suddenly had let's not even say thirty million, let's be charitable, call it, you know, twenty five. Twenty five million people suddenly dumped on your doorstep. Deal with it. That's this, again, I'm not at all dumping on the United States healthcare system. Be that instruct, I'm not. That is a that is a workload on a timetable that is unreasonable for any system to handle right now. You would need to have built your entire system around dealing with the very rare and. To be fair, we have not, again, we've not had anything. I know there's a bunch of people who have said that, you know, there, there were other uh, outbreaks that people overreacted and kind of panicked to. This is true. And I, to be very clear, I think a lot, there's a lot of people who have wildly overreacted to what's going on right now. Guys, you don't need to go buy an entire pallet of toilet paper. You really don't. Uh, it's not going to help you. <laughs> so, again, let me be clear. I, I don't think we've... I think there's a wild overreaction going. We also have not really had to deal with, on a global scale, something this virulent, this, uh, this communicable, in a while. You know, a lot of people worried about you know stuff like Zika, and the West Nile virus. Those are transmitted by mosquitoes. And don't get me wrong, they're not pleasant, but there's steps you can take to deal with mosquitoes. Um, 
I know people kind of mentioned, some people have mentioned uh, you know, H1N1 or the swine flu from a few years ago. And to be fair, that killed a lot of people, as does the regular flu every year. There's also treatments in place for the flu and preventative measures that can be taken. There's what we're dealing with when we talk about, you know, again, it's, its proper terminology is COVID-19 it, because it is a coronavirus. Coronavirus is a type of virus. Other types of coronaviruses you may have heard of, um, SARS and MERS, were bo- are both coronaviruses. Uh, this is just another one of those. And is not really a vaccine or, a, you know, a great treatment for it right now. And it spreads very rapidly. You are contagious before you are symptomatic. It's, and this is, it is not a world-ending plague, all right? Let's be very clear. But if you look at the populations that are at risk, it may not be you, right? You listening to this. You might be a perfectly healthy, average human being in your, you know, 20s. And if you get sick with this, you may not require hospitalization. You might, because some of the cases that do require hospitalization have been in the younger, have been in people in their 20s. But say you don't. You get, you know, you're sick, you stay at home for a couple of weeks, and you personally are better at the end of that period of time. No major after effects. I would bet a giant chunk of money you know someone who is at risk personally you know someone who is over the age of 65 or 70 you know someone who is immunocompromised you know someone for whom getting this is probably fatal I know people like that I know I do and you will be transmitting that to them before you even know you are sick And the real danger is, again, that the infrastructure be able to sustain itself rather than be overwhelmed. That seems to be one of the big points of determination between a high mortality rate or a low mortality rate when it comes to this disease. Uh, You know, Italy, for example, got slammed all of a sudden, very, very quickly, by the way. Italy got hammered over the space of 10 days, I think it was, just slammed. By the end of like a three-week period, they were just, again, just mock, just, just slammed. And wound up, you know, having to make choices about who's going to live and who's going to die. Other places, um, you know, South Korea, I think, was one that's been mentioned, Taiwan. They've been able to stop, they haven't been able to stop, you know, the virus from spreading. What they've been able to do is appropriately slow it down and spread out its rate of infection over a longer period of time, thus allowing their hospitals and medical sta- medical systems to not be overwhelmed. And it turns out that when they're less overwhelmed, they can give better treatment and your chances of dying go down. So that's really kind of the name of the game here. And that's why a lot of these big events are being shut down. It's not that this is going to necessarily kill you or me. Um, I hate to say that it won't, it's a dangerous illness, but I would guarantee that you know somebody that this would be incredibly dangerous for, 
Now imagine them having to go to the hospital. And imagine there being, you know, 50 other people. Or more. 50 other people that day on top of, you know. How big is, the, how big is your average town? I'll take an average and let's even set aside the giant cities. You know, uh, in my area that I live in. Uh, would not be at all unreasonable for either of the two hospitals within driving distance of me to be overwhelmed very quickly. I don't think between the two of them they could handle, you know, 30,000? In fact, I, I, I didn't know they couldn't handle 30,000. People that had to be hospitalized. So, again, the, the name of the game here is trying to save the infrastructure. <laughs> from being overwhelmed by numbers due to a giant spike in sudden exponential growth. Now, are people overreacting to this again? A lot of people? Yes. Um, is the news media not helping? Of course they're not helping. The news media has damaged their reputation. They've damaged themselves when it comes to their relationship with the public, and they have done for many, many years. Uh, do I think it's a good idea to cancel some of these? Yeah, probably. Uh, it, again, it probably is. You know, for how long? Uh, that's a bit of an open-ended question. To what degree can we resume somewhat normal activities under really, really strictly regulated conditions? Uh, that's also, again, a really big question mark. We don't know. I mean, you know, could the NBA season have gone on if they were able to, you know, test all the players and coaches and medical personnel, like, take the bare minimum number of people to have a basketball game, broadcast a basketball game, if you could ensure that none of those people were infected, could you then, you know, have games in front of, have an, you know, empty arena game and broadcast it? Yeah, maybe they could. But think about what you're dealing with at that point. You're still dealing with organizations traveling between states. You're still dealing with all of the hospitality personnel at hotels. You're still dealing with transportation. It's just not really feasible to be able to guarantee that. And as soon as one person gets it, that's kind of what happened with, you know, it was the jazz. One guy got it. And that's kind of it. Once one person gets it, they're going to give it to the other people on their team. Any proximity to another player on another team and it spreads, it's just its just really not all that feasible. I mean, again, I could maybe throw out some stupid ideas, but I'm not going to. About how you could maybe make this work. But it, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't seem realistic. Now, how long is this going to go on? Again, really open-ended question. If we're talking about how long is, you know, COVID-19 going to be a factor to be considered in what's going on in the world, we're probably looking at a period of, you know, two to three months, give or take. Um, beyond that, uh, there's still a lot of unknowns about that. You know, will uh, a vaccine in that that short of time period seems like a bit of a stretch. I know that, you know, the Chinese government has said that they're kind of close to one. I don't believe that. Um, yeah, I, 
know there was a Canadian group that like the the joke was that you know a couple of days after the NHL canceled their season, there there was a Canadian laboratory that said uh, we've isolated COVID nineteen and are working on a cure because you can't you don't want to deny the Canadians their hockey was kind of the joke that came out of that. Uh, just a, a full fledged vaccine in this time for in you know a short time frame seems very unlikely. So we'll be dealing with some of this for, you know, six to eight weeks. And again, talking about MMA, um, you, we've seen gyms start to close now. Uh, I know that the, you know, Weidman Longo gym in Long Island is closed. Uh, Safe Sayud, who has Fortis MMA, is closed. Um, I think SBG Ireland, John Kavanaugh's gym, closed. There's a few others that are going to try to do a bit of the, okay, you're, we're open, but we're only open to professional fighters. That will, I, if I were to bet, that will go on for a week at most before we see places like AKA or ATT or Jackson Wink or any of those other big camps they're going to close. It's, it's unfortunate, but whenever, a, whenever something like this happens, this is kind of the response. Uh, it and you know, for those of us that consume this stuff, it sucks. I mean, sucks for me. Sucks for you, presumably. But I think that's kind of what's going to happen. Again, right now the UFC is still saying that we're going to put on this UFC on ESPN Plus Twenty Nine event. Uh, no venue, no city, um, no main event. No really support card. Right now, the I think the official listing right now is main event, Tyron Woodley versus somebody. Other fights listed for that same card, Kevin Holland versus somebody. Uh, Darren Stewart versus Marvin Vittori. I'd be surprised if that actually goes off. Um, Darren Stewart is a UK fighter. I think he's based out of the UK. So he is probably not going to make that. And Vittori is Italian. He fights out of Italy. Yet there's almost no way, with what's going on in Italy right now, almost no way. Uh, Paul Craig versus Ryan Spann. Craig is Scottish, and the travel ban is a thing. And Jake Collier versus TBA. I have almost, if the UFC is able to cobble together something. First of all, it's going to be a bunch of people that you've never heard of. There's, there's, you might get a UFC main event if they can get, you know, someone to fight Woodley on short notice. Might. The rest of that card is going to be people you don't know who had, you know, a UFC record of 0 and 2 or 1 and 3 and were cut. And that's assuming they can even find a place that will license and sanction it. It's just not really, it's, I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. And, I mean, there's not really enough of a card for me to even potentially preview here. Uh, so I'm not really going to go into that. Uh, yeah, this is this is really going to screw up the UFC's plans for the next foreseeable weeks. Let's, let's take a look at the old schedule here. So we have the... 
Yeah, everything before UFC 249, that's the Khabib versus Tony card on April 18th, is currently no venue, no location. That's Woodley and Edwards, which we know that fight's not happening, but that's the event. And Ganu versus Rosenstreich and Overeem and Harris. Um, Khabib versus Tony is currently set for the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. The Barclays Center has suspended all events, and the state of New York has banned gatherings of more than 250 people. Now, let's consider for just a second here, April 18th is one month away. Not exactly one month, but work with me here. Because I'm recording this on March 15th. So one month. You got a month. Are we really... Is it really all that feasible that things will have worked themselves out to the point where that's going to be a feasible thing to do. I just, I don't. I really don't. Um, and I know the UFC is banging on about making fights, and I don't know really who's at fault here. I know Dana doesn't like to cancel stuff, but you also have to imagine that Endeavor is leaning pretty hard on this. I think Endeavor also owns the, um, they own like a, a, a bull rodeo, bull riding thing, the PBR, and they're real, they're still holding events. Um, look, the Endeavor took on a pretty giant debt load when they bought the UFC and had some to begin with, and I don't know the totality of the structure of the UFC's deal with ESPN, but there might be only a very small downside guarantee and the rest of their payment structure is based on events actually produced. Meaning if there's no events produced, they don't get paid. Uh, so, I'm getting that's contract fine, that's, that's minutia of the contract, I don't know. But if the UFC needs to be producing content in order for ESPN to be mandated to pay them, and Endeavor, you know, took on a $5 billion debt in debt when they bought the UFC. It's a slight exaggeration, but Endeavor as a whole company might be leveraged pretty heavily against debt. And, you know, not getting paid for, let's call it two months worth of content, that might be a really big deal for them if we're talking about the numbers that ESPN pays. So, I don't know, again, I, at a bare minimum, I feel, at a bare minimum, the next three events are not going to happen. It seems utterly unreasonable that they would. And then the fourth event is Tony versus Khabib, which I don't think is going to happen either. And, uh, I mean, the history of Tony Ferguson versus Khabib goes something like, um... It was a rib injury to Khabib. Tony Ferguson got blood in his lungs. Khabib missed weight. Tony Ferguson destroyed his knee tripping over some cables. <laughs> now a global pandemic. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say about that. It's It, it almost defies belief, doesn't it? So... 
I don't know. I do not know when the UFC will be able to resume something resembling a their normal schedule. I don't know when the machine can start turning again. But at the moment, it really doesn't seem like, again, at a bare minimum, those next three to four events, I don't think they're going to happen. I really don't. And if something approximating a UFC event does happen, it's not going to look anything like the normal UFC product. And I don't just mean the fans in attendance. So, I do not know. But that seems to be the state of things as they currently lie. The UFC is trying to bribe tribal leaders into letting them host events. And not screening, by the way. Not actually screening for the virus. And you know what? For the record, I've said for years that the FDA is a fundamentally broken organization. Uh, That is very, very evident right now. If for no other reason than the following, you know, the we need testing for this virus. Uh, the CDC put one out that was inaccurate and didn't really work. But the FDA is not really interested in relaxing some of the testing regulations that they have for private industry to create a test for this. And the FDA regulations on these kinds of things are fairly extensive and, to be fair, exist for a reason. Uh, this is not to say that you know anyone should be able to claim anything that they want and sell faulty products like that. But given the state of things, you'd think that there that it would be reasonable to relax some of the standards when it comes to how we test for this in the name of getting an accurate test out quickly that can be you know produ- again that can be produced quickly and is accurate. Because we're going to need to know people who get this fairly quickly because, again, replication and transmission rates for this are very, very high. You get a du- you double your number of infected every four days, give or take. That's a pretty scary rate of transmission. Even if the, di- again, even if the disease is very, very non-threatening, if we're talking about transmission rate, that is a scary transmission rate. Um, All right, so that's where things stand. I don't think Edwards versus Woodley is happening. The event, I don't think it's happening. But the UFC has pulled rabbits out of their backsides before and might again. So if there is an event this Saturday, I will be covering it. I I can promise you that at least. Um, I don't expect it, but it might. Um, As for this show... I think next week we'll just, we might have an update if we know more. There will be a show. If not, I'm, uh, again, I'll try to at least do some kind of an update on what's going on in the world of MMA next week. I imagine it will be a lot of nothing, but as long as there's something new, I'll do something here and we can kind of hash that out to the extent that we're able to do so. Um... Right. Let me refresh Twitter and see if anything crazy happened while I was recording this. Alright, it doesn't look like anything else crazy seems to have come up, so... 
let's go ahead and do my plugs, such as they are, because, uh, yet, the craziness, again, a lot of those gatherings are being shut down. That has affected some of the other stuff that I do, like movies. Uh, I will not be on Damn You Hollywood this Tuesday. There will be an earlier-in-the-day recording session. It will be Mark Radulich and Alexis Haina talking about Bloodshot. Not gonna lie, guys. I don't care. I didn't have to see that movie. I'm calling that a win. Mark and I were supposed to do some alternate commentary for a boxing match that evening. That's not happening either. So, that's off the schedule. Um... In the next couple of weeks, I can't remember the exact date, but Mark and I will get together to talk about the entire Netflix series BoJack Horseman, which I'm looking forward to. I really, really liked that show. It's uh, one of my favorites. It's very intelligent, it's very biting, and it's a, in some places, very disturbing look at damaged people. It's also, I think, one of the best representations of depression that you've seen on television. So, there will be that in the near future. And uh, for a lot of what I'm doing, you can like the Radlitz and Broadcasting Network Facebook page. Poor Mark is apoplectic, trying to deal with a bunch of movies being delayed, uh, like New Mutants and Mulan both got pushed back. Uh, the Fast and the Furious movie got shoved back a whole year. So a lot of our movie reviews are taking a hit, but the television stuff that we talk about, especially the old, you know, some of these stuff that's either already in the can or already being broadcast, shouldn't be a problem. I know a bunch of places have suspended production on things going forward. Netflix has, um, I think ABC did. I imagine everyone's going to in the near future. Just shut down most of that stuff for a while. But any of the older stuff, we, we'll get together and talk about. So you can still find us. We'll still be podcasting. We will be trying very hard to continue to provide you the quality content you are used to receiving from us. So please keep tuned in for that. If there is a UFC event on Saturday, I'll be there to cover it. Me and the cockroaches. We'll be there. Um, I'll try to have something next week. Again, it might just be news. Even if it's just a, hey, guess what? We're all still here kind of thing. It might be short, so be on the lookout for that. Until then, thank you all again very much for your support of our work. I always say stay safe out there because I think it's an important thing to do. Stay safe out there. I'll see you next time, hopefully, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.